So would you mind just bowing your head and heart in prayer with me as we come to the living word of God, Holy Spirit. Breathe on your word, breathe on your servant. Allow me to have words that are words of life, words that speak truth. Thank you for your word and give us ears to hear now what the gospel would say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I absolutely, um, this, this thing thrills me. Uh, this, is, this is what I want to talk about. Um, man, I, I hear some great preachers, but sometimes what I hear is like, like, a, like, let's look at verse one, and they read verse one, and they put the book down and close it, and then the rest of the thing, they're just telling like stories and talking about like their grandkids and you know, the mission trip they went on, it's, it's um, not putting that down. There's, there's a time for stories. I'll probably tell some today. There's a time for illustrations. There's a time for application. <clears throat> but the greatest time of all that we have together as the body of Christ is when we're in this thing. Yeah. I mean, in it. Pastor Doug and I were talking yesterday, and I heard an old preacher saying, like, when a preacher gets up to preach, he should put his finger in the text that he's preaching from and not leave it and just go down and say, look, look at this text. Look what the God, look at the God of all creation is saying to you. Look, look what we've come to gather around. Look at this. Look at this word that Jeremiah said, that, I, that your words were found and I ate them. They became to me a joy. Put your finger in the word and then with this, if this finger gets tired, put it in your pocket and rest, but get your other finger out and put it there and, and keep it there. Keep your finger right in that word. More and more as I grow in Christ and grow in some experience in ministry, I just see that what I have to say to you is, can be very entertaining if I'm good at it, and maybe not so entertaining if I'm poor at it. Um, I can find emotional illustrations that might draw you to tears, but it's not the Word of God. What, what has wheat to do with chaff? And, and we're getting a lot of chaff, a lot of, a lot of things that fall off the branch. And in our churches today, we're, there's a famine for the word of God because, we're, because we, and I'm not pointing my finger at you, I'm pointing it here. We as the pastors and ministers of the word of God have not been bringing forth the word of God. And when, when people get hit by the chaos that's in the world around them and the struggles around them, they, we don't know how to respond because we're, we're living off, if we're living off emotions or stories or illustrations or applications, we're not living off what roots and grounds us in the, in the confidence of the strength and the power and the might and the majesty and the splendor of a holy God who is capable of anything and all things. And so today I want to, uh, I want to probably do less of entertaining you and, and illustrating my thoughts to you and, and, and put my finger in the word. So let's put our finger in the word. Open up your Bible to Psalm chapter one. It is I'm living in a generation where I have to bear with some things like screens and iPods and iPods and, uh, you know, I don't know if you're texting or listening to my sermon, you know, when you open up your phone. So, so just, just, you know, when you get to be an old man, you get to say things, cranky things. Uh, so, so here's my cranky thing. Like, if you don't have one of these, this, for you young people, this is called a book. Um, they're, they're not just e-books, there's actual books, Okay. One's an e-book and the other's an actual book. And so I recommend a book. You have a book. There, 
if you haven't tried it yet, there's something about, like when you open up, I'm going to be looking at Psalms 1 today. When you open it up, you see it all there. It's all in front of you rather than scrolling down and just getting portion of it. So you can kind of say, left hand meets with right hand, up, upper part and bottom part meet together. Uh, I recommend you buy one of these or the church will give you one. I, I'm just telling you, they'll do it. I, don't, I didn't get permission to tell you that, but uh, I'll pay them for it if, if you don't have one. And then and then, you know, man, start putting the finger in the book and just saying, I'm going to go verse one, line one, chapter one, word one, dig into the word of God. We have a lot of, we have a lot of butterflies, you know, they just kind of like whew, flip around here and open up this, but there's not many bees anymore, you know, that dig in for the true honey from the word of God. All right, I'm saying too much already. Psalms chapter one, verse one, I'm going to talk to you about righteous prosperity, Pastor Doug, at the end of the first service, commented on the message, and I thought he had a good thought there, that, that this is kind of a, a roadway, a, road, a roadmap, or a pattern for godly living in, in, in an ungodly age, in the last days where there are difficult times, perilous times, Paul tells Timothy, will come on the face of the earth. Men will be lovers of themselves. Their hearts will grow cold. How to live a righteous, godly, how to prosper in your righteousness, prospering your godliness is, is the talk I want to give you today. It's from Psalms chapter one, verse, we'll begin reading verse one. I wanna read the whole chapter to you. It's only six verses. Blessed is the man, that's a good start. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all, the, boy, this is a powerful sentence. Listen to this. In all that he does, he prospers or she prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff. Uh, that's the, the part of the kernel of wheat that falls to the ground uh, and has really no uh, nutrient to it. And, it's, and it falls to the ground like chaff and the wind just drives it away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand at the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Historians tell us that uh, in the Hebrew writings, when the Psalms was compiled as a, as a book in the Old Testament days, that uh, Psalms 1 and 2 were not really listed as Psalms 1 and 2. It was the introduction to the other 148 chapters 148 psalms, 148 songs that were written by David. Some were written, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, by Moses. Uh, so this was written over a thousand year period. And the first two chapters were combined together in one. And we see in chapter two, a, a sort of a cosmic scope of trials and tribulations and, and, and the, the things that even Jesus predicted in the last days, famines and earthquakes. King David and these others were experiencing this. They were experiencing bondage to slavery. They were experiencing uh, wars that were coming against them. They were experiencing cultures that were uh, just full-on hatred towards God. That's why Psalms chapter 2, verse 1 says, Why do the nations rage? That word why there is, is, could be translated in the Hebrew, what, like a what, W-H-A-T, question mark. Like what? The nations are raging? What's happening in the world. It's not just a question of why, but it's what in the world is going on that nations are raging and people are plotting or imagining vain things and the kings of the earth are setting themselves uh, against the, and the rulers are taking counsel together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast the, their cords away from us. This was written a thousand years ago. 
And yet at the same time, we're experiencing these very same things today. The second part of this introduction of this great book of Psalms talks about things that are very much like our culture today. We are living there where people are saying, let's burst the bonds of God apart. Let's not have any authority from, from, the, from the biblical truth. Let's not have any authority from the church. Let's, not, let's quiet. Let's do a cancel culture, not over a person, but of a whole community of people called the church. Let's have nothing to do with them. Let's not hear them say, this is righteous or this is unrighteous. This is holy and this is profane. And as a matter of fact, not only are they not willing to listen to what the truth of the word says, but they pervert it. And Isaiah said that there's going to come a time in the last days where people would call evil good and good evil. And we're seeing that. So, so the, the, the psalm is saying here, why are all these things happening? The first part of this chapter one and two, though, is more personal. It's, it's how do you and I navigate life in the midst of a culture around us that's gone mad, that's sin-saturated, that's, that, that just takes evil and pronounces it as something to, to, to be followed after and pursued and, and affirmed and loved and accepted. And so how do we, how do you and I stay righteous? And what, what do we mean by prosperity, righteous prosperity? What is this? And this is what the truth of this chapter one is teaching us. Blessed is the man. That's a, that's a great start. You, you know, right in the middle of this sense of being in a troubled culture, in, in perilous times, right in the middle of that, the writer starts off by saying, blessed. You can be blessed. Does that raise your curiosity? It does me. How, okay, if I can be a blessed man, I want to be a blessed man. How can I be a blessed man? Obviously, it's not holding out false hope here. It's saying that you and I can be blessed men and women. How do we go about that? So the first thing it starts to do is saying, there's, if you're going to be blessed, there's certain things in your life you can't expose yourself to, you can't participate in, you can't live among. And this is not sort of a do and don't sermon, but this is the wisdom of the Lord of how to be. Now, before I get into the, what to avoid, I want to tell you a little bit about the word blessed. It's an important word. For us today, it, it kind of means uh, I'm happy, I'm joy, joyful, jovial. I got a, 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 the best parking spot at the mall the other day. I'm such a blessed person. Uh, you know, my wife is good looking. I'm such a blessed man. I have a, 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 you know, a nice car that gets me to working back every day. Man, I am blessed. So we tend to put the word blessing in materialistic or emotional or comfort or ease levels. Of, of calling ourselves blessed. That's not exactly what this word means. In the Hebrew, the word blessed there is much more of a deeply, profoundly spiritual word. It speaks of being consecrated. In other words, set apart. The word, it means to be holy. It, it, it's, you see how it's tied in much more not to a secular materialism or prospering on our jobs or prospering in, in our finances, but a prospering in our soul, that we're holy, that God is with us, that we, we, we have his love having descended upon us. We have his grace. We have his truth. It is a, it, it, it's, it's to be hallowed. It's to have a sense of the divine in your life. It means to be sanctified. And so the next time you say, I'm blessed or, or you know, bless you, you're talking about something that is not just your health or your wealth or your well-being. It has to do with your spiritual life, your soul. The, but it's tragic that we have so lowered the meaning of blessing now. The, the, the very glorious first word of the psalm is diminished when we think of it as material good. And because sometimes we, we're going to see in just a moment, we may not always have the material good. We may not always have the health. 
We may not always have the things that the world calls blessings, and yet you can still be called, as Psalms 1-1 tells us, a blessed man or a blessed woman. How do we go about this? First of all, it says, walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Then secondly, it says, don't stand in the way of sinners. Third, it says, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. This is a progression. It moves from just walking by something. You know, this is the sort of the, the temptation that sneaks up on you and, it, and, you and you get snared by it. The Bible calls that being snared. And you go, oh, shoot, I, give, I gave into that. You know, maybe you used a bad word or you looked at pornography or you, 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 you gossiped about somebody when you knew you shouldn't and you just, you kind of walked by it and it, and it, and it snared you. And then, then all of a sudden that thing that snared you starts, Psalms 1 says, verse 1, it starts giving you some counsel. Yeah, you know, that... That gossip you did, or that pornography you looked at, or that thing that you did, that, that thing that you said, it, it, it kind of felt good, didn't it? That gossip made you feel strong. Get, you got back at your enemies. That's, that's a good thing. You know? and so you started getting counsel from that. And if you start listening to this counsel, you keep walking by. You know, and a lot of us try to do that. We, you know, there's sin over there, and I'm not going you know, to engage with it. I'm not, gonna, I'm not a sinner. I'm a Christian. I'm over here, but, but I'll walk by it. You know, and, and I'll touch it and I'll listen to it and I'll look at it, but then I'll stay away from it. Then I'll come back and I'll touch it and I'll walk by it again. And, and this, is the, this is the slippery slope. This is the start of the backslidden heart. This is the start of a condition that, that is a spiritual declension. If you're asking yourself today, why don't I feel the vibrancy of the Lord? Why don't I have a love for God's word? Why don't I witness to other people? It's not a spiritually bootstrapping and saying, I to try to get back to that. It's the fact that you're walking by and getting this counsel. And then the second thing is you, you're not walking by anymore. Now you're standing right there. Or you might could say it even stronger, you're taking a stand on this thing. That's not so bad. I'm not addicted. I'm not, this is, this is you know, it's just, it's just something that it's acceptable. There are many Christians today that are accepting things that 20 years ago they would have never accepted. When I'm watching TV with my wife, sometimes there'll be something, there'll be a, 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 a sit, sitcom that, and, and I'll see like two men who are homosexuals and, and, and maybe they're like, they're, they're like headed towards a kiss. And I just, I just go, oh, and I switch the channel really fast, you know, because I just, I, I just don't want to expose, I don't want to sit or stand or watch or walk by any of that. So I'll turn it off. And, but the Holy Spirit convicted me recently because if, if I watch another show and there's a there's a young couple and they're not married and they live together. I've seen that a thousand times. It, it doesn't pierce my heart anymore like the, the other type of sin does. And so I'm, I'm realizing it's like what was, what, was, what was considered 20 years ago unacceptable now is kind of commonplace in the, even in the church today. And, and we're, we're, we're walking by things and watching things and sitting in things that, that we have no part in. And our hearts kind of grown callous towards some of, the, some of the things that we might 20, 30 years ago would have not tolerated. So, so, so in other words, what I'm saying is we see certain sins and certainly they are sins and they are, they, they're, they're cultural forces that are fighting against the church and we need to take a stand against those things. But we've lost the stand on other things homosexuality, we've not lost our stance against that, but what about fornication? What about living together before marriage? What about divorce that is not divorced under biblical terms of either adultery or, or um, what's the other one? Adultery or fornication? Yeah, adultery or uh, there's, there's one other. I can't remember what it is right now. But anyway, that's how little I think about divorce when you're happily married. You just don't know all the ways to get out of it. 
but, 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 a, but, a, but a, a, an immoral form of divorce. These are things that we should still hate. To, 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 be, to be a parent, that, a father that exasperates his son. The, you know, why don't we hate these things? Well, because we've walked by them so much. And maybe now we're even standing in them. It's just like, this is my place. I'm just a father who, who treats his kids mean or doesn't care about his family. These are things we, we, we start standing in those things. And before long, the next invitation is to just, hey, you've been here so long standing. Why don't you just sit down? You know, come and take a seat. Enjoy us. And you do. You sit down. Anybody who moves from standing to sitting is lowering themselves. You're lowering yourself to a place where now you're, you're, you're sitting in the seat of scoffers. Do you see the progression here? It goes walking by, then standing there for a little bit. Before long, you're seated with them. Uh, you're set in this place. It's a, it's a, you've heard this, it's a setting. This church is a setting. It's, it, it, and so now you're living in this particular setting. It's a worldview that you have that changes. It might be your view on creation. It might be your view on human sexuality. It might be your view on marriage. It might be your view on the church, but our, our views change. They, they, there's this moral declension that takes place. And so the writer of the Psalms is telling us here that to, to be a man who, and a woman who's blessed, there's a requirement of, of some spiritual determination, some spiritual guts within us that says, man, I'm just going to close my eyes to those things of the world. I'm going to turn away from those things. I'm not going to stand or sit there. I'm going to remove myself. It's, it's not just sheer willpower or, or moral fiber. It's, it's a grace of God that works through you and I to liberate us from these things that don't belong in our life. You know, Satan never starts with, hey, sit down in sin and just scoff at the world. He always starts with the lesser. Just, just walk by it. I'm not going to ask you to become addicted to this thing. I'm not going to ask you to live in this worldview. I'm just going to just walk by it occasionally. But, well, maybe you could take a stand. Then before long, before long, sometimes you're sitting there. You don't even know you're sitting there, like the, the proverbial frog in the kettle. The, the heat's turned up, and all of a sudden, now you're in it. And, and it feels like, at that point, like there's no escape. One of the warnings I have for you as a church is it, there used to be a time where where probably nine out of 10 things you would walk by in culture would not be the things like sinners or wicked or scoffers. You see what I'm saying? Like one out of 10 events in your life could, could be trouble for you. So you had to watch out for that one out of 10. We live in a world now where nine out of 10 things we walk by or could sit with or stand with are going to be unhealthy for us, remove us from the... Uh, we, we're, we're living in a sin-saturated culture. Everything from government to the news we watch on TV to our school educational system has become horribly ungodly. So kids are going to school five days out of the week and they're being presented these things. We're living in a world now where this... This scripture, this passage of scripture is more important than ever because if it's one out of 10, yeah, you've got to kind of guard yourself, but it's nine out of 10 things you experience are this, then you're going to really have to put those spiritual blinders on and say, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on Jesus. I'm going to keep my heart pure. I'm going to keep on, stay on my knees. I'm going to stay in this word. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to the word of God. How do you take heed to the word of God if you don't know it? if you don't study it, if you don't pursue it. And so this is the way of avoiding these things that we see in the world today. Verse two then goes on, it says, but he delights. So the righteous man not only just removes himself from things that are going to rob him of his spiritual inheritance and blessing, something even greater happens that causes us to be able to do that. 
It's one thing for me to stand up here as a pastor and a preacher and say to you, don't sit, don't stand, don't, don't, don't get around scoffers. But it's another thing to say, well, how do we do that? And the Psalms are brilliant in that it brings to, to bear on our life, not just the, the remedy, but then the how to get that remedy in our life. And that's what we see in verse two. He delights, the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. To delight in something is, it's hard to delight in the law in the sense of being under the law. Paul talked about that, how, how weighty that is, how much a burden it is when you're under the law. In other words, trying to please God by working out your salvation for yourself rather than under the grace of God. That's called, called living under the law. He's not saying delight by being under the law here. This is profound. He's saying it's, it's a delight to be flowing with the law of God, the truth of God, the wisdom of God, the, 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 the counsel of God. You're in like a river and it's flowing through these wonderful things that you have. The, your delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This word meditate in verse, the second part of verse 2 is so important for us to understand. Because in our culture today, when we use the word meditate, where does your mind go? Just out of curiosity. You don't have to shout it out loud. But when, if I were to talk to you about, let's, let's just take a moment to meditate. You kind of think of Eastern religion a little bit, right? You're crossing your legs and kind of putting your hands like this and go, hmm, or, you know, more like almost like a Buddhist kind of, or a, or a contemplation. Or maybe if you want to Christianize it a little bit, it'd be like going a little walk through the woods and smell the flowers and just meditate on the good things of the world. That's, that's not what this word means. It's a much more powerful word. This exact same word, listen to this, this exact same word is found in, in Psalms chapter two, verse one. Why do the nations rage and the people plot? Or some translations say, why do they imagine vain things? So here's these people raging and, and fighting against God and, 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 and the Holy Spirit has the writer use the same word in chapter one and two. The one who meditates and the one who plots is the exact same Hebrew word. And what that word means is, is to, to moan or groan, or the strongest expression of it all is to growl, to growl. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 4 talks about a lion, and this lion uh, devours, is devouring its prey. If you've ever been to a zoo or maybe on a, uh, Kelly and I have been in some safaris and seen these lions, you know, they're, they're just ripping at the meat of an of a antelope or something that they caught. And Jeremiah says that, um, he says that uh, the, the lion is ripping at it and all of a sudden the shepherds come and they're going to try to take away that, that piece of meat from the lion. And the lion growls at them. It's like, no, this is mine. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. This, the, to, to meditate day and night on the word is, is not to sort of like flutter over something. It's to dig into it. What's the meaning? What's the truth? What are you saying, God? Maybe we need to, to read the Bible on our knees. Just so it's like a prayer to us. God, teach me the truth of your word. Help me to love your word. Lord, discipline and disciple me in your word. Let me be consumed by your word. Let me memorize your word. Let me pray your word. Let me sing your word. Word. Let me know your word. That's the idea of growling over this thing. It's, it's, a, it's a devouring. It's like your teeth are out. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, God, I want more of this word. How? Let's ask that question one more time. Okay, well, to avoid this, I got to get this delight. But I don't have that delight. But I, I want to have that delight. Well, there's a good starting place for us. Lord, I don't have that delight. Teach me to hunger, to growl, to, to be struck with a passion for your word. Teach me how to do that. 
And then when we do, we'll get the response of the Lord. And we see this in, in verse 3. And he is like a tree planted by the streams of water. He's like a tree. So we see some things here, how God is the one who orchestrates your uh, righteous prosperity. How does he do so? He plants you. Uh, have you ever seen somebody getting landscaping in their yard and they have a big tree delivered and it's about to be planted? They have the truck that digs the hole in the ground and picks it up, drives it to your house, digs another hole and plants that tree. Well, that's what God does. You've never seen, I've been around some landscaping before, I have never once seen that truck open up the hole that it opened up the, 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 thing, the tank that it's in and all of a sudden that tree crawl off the truck and start the roots moving around like I'm, there's a good hole to get in. No, the tree doesn't plant itself. Hallelujah. This is good news for you. Because you're saying, well, I don't have a love for the word of God. I don't have a passion for prayer. I don't, I don't have that growling in my heart for the things of God. Well, allow God to plant you. Allow him to put you in some soil that, remember the different kinds of soil that Jesus talked about? Some it's on rocky ground. Well, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to have leadership in your life, where you're not, you know, like, like you ever hear these people that, they, they, at the end of a sermon, they go like, you know, uh, why don't you pray with me? Make Jesus the Lord of your life. You don't make him the Lord of your life. He, he's, he's, he's absolutely the Lord of everything. Okay, he gets to tell you what to do or not. You're not telling, yeah, I think I'll make. Could you imagine a, a king going over to a king? Like if you lived in England in the 1600s and you walk up to the king and say, oh, king, I decided to make you my king. The king would probably cut your head off. You know, like, I've been your king before you knew it. And this is the, this is the kind of Lord we have. He, he is king and he takes hold of your life and you just submit, Lord, plant me where you would. And he'll put you in good ground. And you're in a church that is good ground. You hear sermons every week here. That's good soil for you to grow in. But not only does he put you in good soil, it says you're going to be a tree planted by the streams of water. I think one of the most important things I'll say to you today is, is it, the delight doesn't produce the stream. The stream produces the delight. The stream produces the delight. And so you're wondering, why don't I delight? Well, maybe you're not being uh, nurtured. Maybe you're not drinking from that stream. And so let the stream create the delight. How do you get to the stream? By just taking time in the word of the Lord. Just being willing. Sometimes it does start with discipline. Uh, you know, I used to never eat vegetables. I always, I hate the taste of green things. I don't know if it's green, I just don't like it. Even if it's green ice cream, it's just, I, I, it's, not, it's just not my thing. And, uh, but, but I've disciplined myself. So I have, I have salad. I have different kinds of vegetables every day now. And now I can almost like, I, don't, I still don't like them, but they don't taste quite as bad as they used to. I sort of tolerate them. The discipline has brought some, some form of delight. But the effects on my life, I'm in better health. I, I, I find I eat less sugar when I seem to nurture my, get the nutrients from, from healthy things. And so the, the discipline has created some delight. But the greatest delight of all is the source of where we're receiving the life, of where we're receiving the power. To be like a tree planted by the streams of water, it yields its fruit in its season. There are some seasons you feel like, I'm, this is a rough season. Anybody going through a rough season right now? Just, just wave at me if you're going through a rough season right now. One person, wow, this, this, this must be the place to live. Okay, there's a few more. Most places I go there, if I ask that question, more than half the congregation, the amount, it's a rough season. It's hard. Finances are struggled. My marriage is in a difficult place. My job is tenuous. My children are troubled. This thing in the world is addicting, and it's, and it's, and it's causing my heart to be stressed over things. Well, 
that's, that's the, the fruit that's in his season. And sometimes Satan will attack us when we're not in that kind of up season. He's like, oh, you're not really living for God anymore. You're, you're, you're a failure. You're hopeless. You're no good. You, you used to bear fruit. Now you don't. No, just tell him he's a liar, church, right? Tell him he's a liar. Just tell him to hit the road. You, you are righteous. You are holy. You are a godly person. You are living a blessed life because he planted you and you're growing by those streams and you will, there'll be, there, things will change. I've been around long enough to know that's true. Things will change. Things that are hard for you right now, the, the load will be lightened and you'll get through it. Amen. And all that he does, he prospers. This is probably one of the most difficult portions of scripture for me to, to when I put my finger in it, say, I want to I wanna teach, I want to show the word of God to you. This one kind of throws me off a little bit, does it you? Uh, you? You can almost take this first verse, this first line, blessed is the man, and then take the part of, the last part of, of, uh, of that and all that he does is prosper. And you can almost say, that's, that's one sentence in itself. Blessed is the man in all that he does is prospers. So, so the blessed man, the blessed woman is one that everything he does is prospering. And, and then you take what's sandwiched in between and you see God giving us instruction, divine, his law giving us instruction. How do we do this? We avoid these things and we grow in these other things. But then it comes to the, the result of that. We're talking about the what, what, to be a blessed man, the how, avoid and, and, and be planted by the streams. And then now, now, now here's the result of it. What's going to be the result? And it says you're going to prosper in everything you do. Now for me, that's either... Um, different than a lot of the life experiences I see in my life sometimes and around me. Different experiences that people are having, even in the church, godly people who pray, who love the Lord, who, who read Psalms 1 and they say, I want that blessed life. I want to prosper in all I do. And of course, then we have sort of false teachers in the church today who just mercilessly attack the church uh, with this corrupt teaching of the, of what prosperity means. Uh, prosperity means the bigger house. And, and every time you go to work, the boss walks up to you and says, I just, for some reason, I need to give you another raise today. I know he gave you one yesterday. And, and, and uh, every dream or aspiration you ever have, just, you just kind of confess it, wish it up to God, and God will give you everything. Like, God's some, like, like God is this poor beggarly man who wants to win your affection and, and he wants you to worship and love him so he has to sort of enable you by giving you all these things to keep you on the hook liking him. He's not a God who needs you like that. He was doing fine before he ever created you. He's going to do fine after we're gone from this earth as well. He, 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 was, he was totally happy before he created anything on heaven and earth. He is fully content. He doesn't need us, but he loves us and he wants to bless us and prosper us. And so what does this prosperity mean? Because it seems like sometimes we're not, number one, experiencing it. And secondly, I would say even more importantly, it seems like it's a contradiction in scripture because he's promising here, this is the word of God, it's a promise to us. He's promising prosperity, but in the same book and in other books, he takes the same idea and talks about it in the context of, it's the, the Psalms 70, I don't have time to get into it, but Psalm 70 is a whole chapter where it's talking about, David saying, I, I've seen these unrighteous people and they're prospering and, and, and I'm struggling and everything I do is hurting and I'm in pain and I'm in sorrow and, and, and I look around me and all these evil people are prospering and then he said, but I went into the temple. And then I saw something else. I saw his presence and it changed my heart. So Psalm 7, uh, 37, for instance, verse 3 says, Fret not over the one who
who, listen to this, fret not, don't, don't worry about the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out his evil desires. The same psalmist that wrote chapter one here is writing it in 37 saying, there's an evil man, he's gonna prosper. Well, then that sort of levels the equal playing field. Why, you know, is it like, oh, I thought the righteous prosper, but you're saying the wicked prosper as well. Malachi chapter three, verse 15 says, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. They prosper, they go against God's word and they escape judgment. And look at Psalms 44, yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Is this prospering and all he does? I mean, like, how are you doing, Pastor Gary? Oh, I'm just prospering. I'm a sheep being led to slaughter. I, I get killed every day. It's like, that doesn't seem like prospering. Does it, does it to you? If so, you have a warped sense of prosperity. All right, so, so something, something's amiss here. Something that doesn't calculate. And so, so, so this is where we're groaning over the word of God. This is where we're growling. This is where we're digging in. Like, what does this mean to, to prosper? Because it might mean something different than we think it means. And so as we look at this, we see... Does it mean your health is always flourishing? Does it mean your business is always bringing new riches? Does it mean your family lives without any trouble or sorrow? Does it mean you have no longer any temptation to come up against you? But when you see the wicked and wicked are prospering, you begin to wonder if you can truly trust the word of God or the God of the word. Is, 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 that, is that how he works? Is there no difference between us and the wicked world? Those who are plotting, verse chapter two, those who imagine vain things and plot against the Holy One and his anointed, why do they get the same blessings and riches that others might? Well, again, we said earlier, it's, it's, a, it's a poor definition of prosperity when we think of those terms that I just mentioned to you. But turn the inner scripture, if you have your Bible open, go to Romans chapter eight. And I think you'll see something here that, We'll speak to this issue very, in a very important way. Romans chapter 8, and we'll start reading in verse 31, I believe. Uh, yes, 31. What sh- this is Paul writing to the church at Rome. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will, we not, how will he not also with him give, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charges against God elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who is raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Are you starting to see something different in the definition of righteous prosperity here? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall, shall distress? So again, Look at this. Look at this list that Paul has of, a, of pretty much a normal Christian life. And, and he's using these words, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. And then he goes back to Psalms 44, where the, the psalmist is questioning God about this issue of, of righteous prosperity and, and wicked prosperity. And he says, he quotes verse four, uh, chapter 44, for your sake we have been killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep led to the slaughter. So what he's asking is, is these things, these, these trials, these tribulations, these persecutions, these hard, hardships, these temptations, these things that seem like the world might classify even as struggles and failures, are these things going to separate us from the love of God? His answer in verse 37 is, says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come 
nor, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. There, there's true prosperity. That, that when you're suffering, when you feel like a lamb being led to the slaughter, when things in your life don't seem to be adding up, one plus one is not equaling two in some ways, and prosperity doesn't seem to be coming my way. Paul is describing here a righteous prosperity, a prosperity that has, is, is, is deep in the love of God, that can't be moved, that, that will not be shaken, like a tree planted by the waters. The old song says, I shall not be moved. That's righteousness. That's prosperity. When you say, whatever comes my way, I am not going to be moved. You see, those who are in this false teaching of the prosperity movement are, fat, are happy and content as long as it's working. But when they lose their job or their spouse dies or their, their kid becomes addicted, then all of a sudden it's like, well, where were you, God? And I've had to counsel more people who have run from God and the church because they thought God had promised them something that God hadn't promised them. They had a, a, a poor description of prosperity. They didn't understand we're talking about your soul. We're talking about your spirit. We're talking about life that flows within you. We're talking about the abundant life that comes from the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the word of God popping off the page and making life come into your heart. It, we're talking about prayers that are answered when you're praying the righteous prayers of the, uh, the prayers of the righteous availeth much and you're praying over your children, you're praying over your marriage and you're seeing the, the work, the mighty work of the hand of God in your life. If that's you, you're a blessed man. If that's you, you're a blessed woman. And I tell you, I, I've met some people as I've traveled around the world, some, some developing countries. They don't have two pen, pennies to rub together. They're not sure they have food for the night. They have to walk two, three miles to get the water clean, and a little bit of clean water if there's any at all to that. And they are righteous men and women. They are full of prosperity. They are blessed beyond measure. They are blessed beyond a lot of Americans that I meet because there's a contentment in them. There's a joy. You should hear their songs of delight. And then I meet Christians here in America who have almost everything you could ever want or dream or imagine, and then all of a sudden one little thing goes wrong, and they're going, God, where were you? Why did you abandon me? You're not faithful to your word. It's a corruption in us in the church today. And God wants to change it by giving us this Romans 8 passion, saying, God, I am a prosperous man. I am a prosperous woman. All that I do, it prospers. It, 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 it may not look like it in the short run, but in the long run, my, it's my soul that's prospering. David said, uh, I, I, and, and until I was afflicted, I went astray. But when you afflicted me, my soul prospered. Because, well, here's, and he says, why? Because I learned of the Lord. He learned something from what he went through. That's true prosperity. I would not trade my sorrows and sufferings for, for any of the material blessings of the world because it was my sorrows and my pain and my sufferings, my difficulties, the trials and tribulations. That's what I, that's where I learned. That's where I grew. That's where I became a godly man, not just in the happy, peppy times, but in those difficult times. And so this, this is where we get it. So let me just bring things to a close now, turning back to Psalms chapter 1. And all that he does is prosper, verse, verse 4, but the wicked are not so. The, the, the wicked are not so, and it, it describes why, but they're like chaff. They just fall from, from the wheat uh, and, and just dry up on the ground, dead lifeless, hopeless, and, and then the wind comes and it scatters them. They just, they drift away. They drift away from righteousness. They drift away from the church. They drift away from holiness. They drift away from the word. They drift away from prayer. They drift away from worship. There's no longer those, they, they, they were once rooted and grounded, but now there's nothing left of life in them. They're just blown away by the wind. 
And verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You see, somebody shifted here. They were in a congregation, in the council, and sitting in the seat of scorners, but all of a sudden something happened to them, and they became the blessed man, the blessed woman, and now they're in the congregation of the righteous, but the sinners aren't there. This is interesting news here. There's coming a day. Right now, you have to walk, like I said earlier, you have to walk by. Nine out of ten things you have to walk by, you have to avoid. I mean, our kids have to avoid. I, someone told me recently, I heard this, said, you know, we send our kids to, to Caesar, and we're surprised they come home Romans. Isn't that, isn't that true? We, we send them out to the world, and, and, and nine out of ten things they're going to hear and see and, and, and in, our, in our workplace, nine out of 10 things, and, and when in our neighborhoods, nine out of 10 things we see are, are gonna be, try to drive us away from this holy righteousness that's in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, there's, there's something that is very rarely preached in the church anymore today. But, but I wanna close and sharing this with you because I think it's so important. Every time you see some ungodly, foul, wicked politician who's advocating for the killing of children, Anytime you hear someone stand up and, and, and begin to, to, to speak of the pride of a homosexual movement, anytime you have a teacher that stands up and says God is dead and we were all evolved from a single cell amoeba back in the day, you know, billions of years ago or millions of years ago, when you begin to see and hear these things, it could be easy as a Christian to feel so distraught and discouraged. And one of the things that Psalms does that I think is so brilliant and so encouraging, and it may not sound encouraging because we're, we live in a culture that's so soft and, and, and so uh, unwilling to offend, and, and many preachers no longer preach about hell anymore and about eternal damnation and about the judgment of God, but Psalms goes there. And, 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 it, and the, the book is introduced. All that it's going to say about the na- nations that are raging against Christ and trying to tear down and break the bonds and are, and are scoffing at the things of God, just making fun. Like if you're a, if you're a Christian, you're a homophobic, misogynistic bigot, and they're just flinging accusations from, from politicians to newscasters to teachers in schools to universities. They're just, they're just in a foul way mocking God. And, 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 and we've removed then any kind of judgment from from, from God. We've removed any uh, eternal sense of judgment from God. And we think, well, how could a just God, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? Well, he does. He does. There's st- Whether you believe it or not, there's still a hot hell burning. And, and, and there are many Christian scholars today, or so-called Christians, that are trying to convince us that that's not true. Or, or even there's a, a question today, it's called the progressive church, and, and they're deconstructing their faith. And what they mean by that is they're, they're taking things out that just don't really relate to culture anymore today. And so what they're saying is like, there's no way, if somebody sinned you know, uh, for 20 years of their life, how do they deserve uh, an eternity in hell? Well, the reality is, if they rejected God and they're plotting in vain against him and they never turn and repent and give their life to Jesus, then when they're in hell for eternity, they're still going to be cursing God. They're still going to be hating God. It's not like they're going to change their mind in hell and say like, you know, now I really love you and now I really want to worship you. No, they're going to, they're going to continue cursing God. Therefore, the eternity of hell is merited. Even though the eternity of heaven is unmerited, we can't do anything to deserve it. And so when I read this, I... I just kind of, you know, because we live in a culture that even though we're in trouble and there's difficulties facing our society, compared to a lot of countries, we're doing pretty good. 
I mean, compared to, to Cuba or China, we, we have it pretty easy. So we don't understand this quite the same way. When the psalmist in the power of the uh, wisdom of the Holy Spirit begins to say, the wicked will not stand in judgment. There's coming a time where that nine out of 10 things that are disrupting you and discouraging you and coming against you, they're not going to even be there anymore. They're going to they're gonna be in another place, and you're going to be free of that. You're going to be free. Can you imagine this, church? You're going to be living in a day where after the judgment seat of Christ, where everybody around you can be righteous and holy and pure and loving and delightful and joyful, and there's not going to be gossip or anger or strife or racism or, or sexual immorality or any kind of impurity at all. It's just not going to be there. So you won't need Psalms uh, 1 through 3. You won't need... Don't stand in the way of sinners because there's not going to be any sinners there. And so that's what the end of the psalm is, is saying. Rejoice because you're, they're not going to be standing with you anymore. Nor they're not going to be sitting with you. So, so here's a warning even to the church. You know, I'm talking here about, I'm talking about here, you know, don't sit in the council or don't stand in the way. You know, and, and I'm saying that nine out of ten times we have to watch that in the world. One of the problems also is we have to watch it in the church. We have to be careful not to sit in the seat of the scornful in the church. We have to be careful not to, to stand in the way of sinners in the church because uh, so much of the church has become compromised and impure and ungodly. But God's going to deal with that. And here's the, here's, the, here's the powerful news of part of the gospel is there's a judgment coming and there's a separation of the, the, the sheep from the goats. And, and it says here, the Lord knows the righteous. He knows there's a blessing waiting you and I. There's a prosperity here on earth, but in eternity in heaven, unlike anything we've ever experienced here uh, at all. And the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Isn't that good news, church? It's going to perish. It's going to be gone. I don't know if there's going to be newscasters in heaven. I'd Probably not. But, but if so, there, it's not going to be like CNN. It's, it's not. It's, it's not going to be like Fox News either, to be honest with you, conservatives, all right? We, we, we need to be careful because we can end up being just as bad of gossips as, as the, the ones we criticize. And so, don't, uh, just erase that part of what I said. Let's just, you know, <clears throat> I don't want to leave Pastor Doug with any trouble, all right? But, but we're not going to have foul reports, and we're not going to have bad reports, and we're not going to have, man, we're going to be, we're going to be spending an eternity in the presence of God. We're not going to have temptation. Sin is not going to be a problem. We're not going to be sitting with people that counsel us in the wrong way. That's all gone. I mean, we're just, we're just, we're in, we're in sheer bliss. We're in sheer joy. And I close with this. The good news is we get to taste some of that right now. We get to taste, we get to sit in the seat of the congregation where we just have a taste of heaven. We're around people that love us and we love them and we're not perfect, but we're, we're growing in this righteousness of that we're prospering in our righteousness. We're suffering together. We're enduring hardship together. When one hurts, the other hurts with them. And that's why we're seeing things in our church begin to be more and more important. In these last days, when perilous times come on the face of the earth, you're gonna need each other more than ever before. And you're going to need songs of praise. And you're going to need prayers of, 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 of intercession. And you're going to need community fellowship. You're going to need pastoral teaching. You're going to need a man who stands in the pulpit and teaches you the word of God. And if you don't have that, and I know you have it here, but I would recommend this to any church. If he ever stops preaching the word of God, you run from here, all right? If he ever starts just telling you cute little stories and jokes, you just get, out of here, get up and out of here and you find a place that lets you growl and dig into the word of God. He doesn't want that. I don't want that. 
Pastor Ham will be preaching tomorrow night. Nikki, they don't want that. We want you to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God and be in a fellowship where you're getting rich uh, community and seeing the things of God. How many of you are hungry and thirsty for that? You want to be planted by that kind of stream? Amen, I do. You know I do.